With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. As a child, Estefania Reyon was forced to flee her home in Colombia and was granted political asylum here in the United States. As you can imagine, that experience caused Estefania lasting pain and trauma. And so when she saw migrant children arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border, she knew she needed to do something to help. The result, the Yes We Can World Foundation, a nonprofit that created and operates the Yes We Can Mobile Schools Program, the first full-time bilingual education program for migrant children at the U.S.-Mexico border. Estefania, thank you for being here. Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. Estefania, I want to talk about all the work you're doing, but I feel like we can't talk about the work that you are doing without talking about the personal experiences you've had that have really led you to this theory of change. So I want you to take me back. What is it you remember about growing up in Colombia? I moved here when I was 10. So for me, it was a very hard experience to have to leave my home and be forced out because that's essentially what happened. My dad, his life was threatened, unfortunately. And within two weeks, our lives completely changed. I remember being in school. I used to go to an all-girls Catholic school. And it was really small. So it was literally my family. I grew up with those girls since I was five. And when this happened, my world got destroyed. So I remember being there the last day of school, getting called to the office. It was a weekday. And I was like, what's going on? And my dad was standing next to the principal and they said, you know, we have to go. And I was like, what do you mean we have to go? Like, I have a test. <laughs> like, I can't go. And 
The next day, my family, my dad and my little brother and I went into hiding. So we went into a family's house in the country for about two weeks. And while we were there, my sister and my mom actually sold all of our belongings. And when we came back, we literally went to my grandma's house. There were five duffel bags with our our clothes in there and we were gone. The next day we were at the airport and I literally remember seeing like in the movies when you say a goodbye, my whole entire extended family, my grandparents, my aunts, my cousins, my everyone saying goodbye. And that was the last time I saw them. And now it's been 20 years. This year is our 20th year anniversary of my family leaving Colombia. What did your dad do that you were subject to those threats, did you have a sense before that moment that there was potentially danger? And to to what extent did your parents share with you what was happening in real time? And then to what degree did you really learn about it later? My dad was a lawyer. Both of my parents are lawyers. My dad was also a university professor. He taught international law. And he's also, his first dream was to be an astronaut. So he was very involved with astronomy in Cali, founded, you know, an astronomy team and represented Colombia in different NASA conventions around the world. So he was, he was a kind of a public figure. He was well known and a community leader, I would say. I don't personally know why my dad was targeted. The story is that at that time, um, so this is the early 2000s, you know, after the fall of the cartels from the 90s, the Cali cartel especially, and the FARC, sort of their main source of income and business, which were the cartels, was kind of falling. So then they opted to kidnap people for ransom, whether it was a wealthy family or a political figure or sort of anyone in the community that stood out, they were targeting those people to then kidnap them and ask for ransom. So that's sort of the common knowledge that I have of the situation. I'm not sure if it's the full story. In my family, we are one of those families that don't really talk about problems and we know they're there, but we quickly move on because it's painful to confront those feelings. And to this date, I haven't really spoken to my parents about what happened. So there's a lot to unpack um, within our family and our story. And I think to this date is still affecting me because it's a lot of confusion, a lot of unanswered questions. And having to experience this as a child and then a teenager and now an adult, being able to process all of that trauma, which is what it is, is still something that I'm trying to to go through. I appreciate you sharing all of that. And we will talk about how that trauma and that pain has really informed your sense of empathy for other young people who find themselves displaced for whatever reason. What then was it like 10 years old landing in Miami, Florida? Oh my gosh. I always feel that it was sort of an alien experience. Um, So for me, going back to coming from an all-girls private Catholic school, just even the clash of being in a school with boys was a big issue because I came to sixth grade. So, you know, girls here are starting to, you know, 
develop and get into, you know, boyfriends and, and middle school and all of this concepts. And here I was coming in with like, you know, my skirt up to my knees, my two finger distance from my socks, my rolling backpack, which was not cool at the school I was going to and arriving at a school. And my teacher, Ms. Robinson, was this beautiful African-American teacher who was so funny and she had a huge laugh. And I remember being in her classroom and she it was the first time my name was pronounced wrong. My name is pronounced Estefania, but in America, people usually say Estefania because it's spelled with an F. And I didn't get it. And I was like, but then they told me, no, she's she's talking to you. And th- these are all like who would become my friends who were like Cuban-Americans who knew that I didn't understand English. So they were like, no, no, it's you. Like, you need to go right now. There was a special bill that rang for ESOL students, which are immigrant students that go to a separate classroom. So that rang. And then I, I, I left and I was like, OK, where do I go now? It was a complete loss. And I remember coming home that day crying. And I was like, mom, like, I can't go back to school. Like, I need to have the backpack everybody has. I need to, I can't wear this long socks. I need to have like the tiny socks that go to your ankles. And it was, it was chaos for me. So it took me a long time even to, I remember in my teenage years, always denouncing, I think is the word, denouncing, um, saying like, oh, you're American. And I used to be really angry about it. And I would say, no, I'm Colombian. Like, I'm I'm just here for for a while. And I even had the thought, like, I'm only going to date Colombian boys. Like, it was this whole identity crisis I was having very young (laughs) until, you know, I got older. And now I, I, I understand and I appreciate the journey my parents took. And I can now say, you know, I'm equally American and equally Colombian because of my life experience. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? 
<laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&Ms for all fun kind. I want you to take me back to the sort of original seed of the idea for Yes, We Can World Foundation. You now describe it as believing that every child has the right to education and safe spaces regardless of their location. Is that how it started? How did you chisel down to that idea? So initially, yes, we can started with the volunteer trip. I went down to the border. I now live in Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm only two hours away from the U.S.-Mexico border that borders San Diego and Tijuana. This was in 2018 when a lot of the news of separating families and also the caravans were, were coming to the U.S., and I was like, this is not true. Like there cannot be thousands of people and families at the border, you know, needing help. And I'm only two hours away. So I went down with a group of volunteers. We took down donations. And then immediately I saw the camp that I arrived to. I had never experienced a refugee migrant population camp. Um, so I saw the children really not being helped. A lot of kids were walking around without shoes, were, were being unattended. Also, there was no space for them to go to that they could just hang out. Even color at that point was coloring was an activity that I thought would help. And then it developed into a full-time curriculum, which is what we do now. But that was the seed, knowing that those kids were me when I was 10. So I immediately connected with the kids and I thought, oh my gosh, like I had the privilege and the blessing to get to Miami to going to a full, you know, school system and be welcomed and have someone to help us. These kids have nobody to help them. So we came back to LA and my boyfriend, Kyle, I told him, you know, we have to go back. Like I cannot, having seen this, I, I can't like not do anything. And that's how it started. So we did a pilot program and then decided to do a foundation. But for us, becoming a nonprofit, which is what we do now, is was a complete accident because we had people that wanted to donate and wanted to kind of know where this was going, even though we didn't know where it was going. And the concept of Yes, We Can as the name of our nonprofit is because when we started developing this, this project, obviously we started running into obstacles. And I was like, okay, but we have to do it. Like, it's not that we're not going to do it. We have to do it. So that's why we named it Yes, We Can, because we started receiving like sort of no's as far, not, not receiving no's, but like, you know, facing the challenge of fundraising. So we just took on that motto of yes, we can and being positive. And that's, that's what's gotten us here today, three years later. You know, it's interesting when you talk about displaced children and education, I think it's really easy to process that as what it means for that child, what it means for that family, which is critical and important. And and I believe in that on its face. I also think, though, you layer in this question of what happens to a society when you have an entire generation of young people who don't have a third, a fourth, a fifth grade education or have experienced a big gap in education. So a few years ago, I did a project where we traveled to Rwanda. Um, we traveled to Jordan, uh, to one of the Syrian refugee camps and to El Salvador. Because, you know, some of these migrants will come and they will stay and they will be folded into the fabric of American society. And it's critical then that they have not experienced gaps in their education. But if we're also talking about rebuilding Honduras, rebuilding El Salvador, 
then you need to have a generation of young people who are able to bring those skills to that place if you ever want that place to have a chance at becoming stable and where you no longer have the push factors that lead so many of these migrant families to come to the United States in the first place. There is a macro argument for the work that you are doing. Exactly. And for us also, once we started working with the kids, we quickly realized that as soon as around 10, 11, 12 years old, there are conversations of stopping school because you need to work because you need to help. You need to provide help provide for the family. And if you're 10, 11, or 12, you don't have that option to have a different type of life because now you're going into the cycle that your parents and your grandparents have been under because of the circumstances. And in regards to the macro level, 100%. I mean, the investments that need to be done in this countries are massive, but they need to be done with local partners. To some extent, the government officials, it's very difficult because it's going to take a long time. And it's also not going to be, I think, the, the funds are not going to be used as, as they would if it was with the local partner. And I really do think that investing in local organizations and partners are, what, are what's going to make a difference in these countries to be able to go one by one. And, you know, even our teachers, sometimes when our kids don't show up because they might be sick or they might be having an issue at home, our teachers literally go knock on their doors. You know, we work in a shelter where there's little houses and sometimes a kid won't show up and we'll go see why they're not coming. And then we find out, okay, maybe they were sick or maybe we had another experience where there were a little boy didn't want to come to class because there were holes in his shoes and he was embarrassed. And, and we were like, okay, well, immediately <laughs> go get a new pair of shoes. You know, like that cannot be the obstacle from a kid not coming into our classrooms. And that work is done because we're so close to these families and we're, we're so local and on the ground. I think we're all working towards a big picture in different ways. So it can all coexist, but definitely working locally is, is the most effective. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Given the journey that you have been on, I wonder then what it meant to you when you were recognized with the Outstanding American by Choice Award. That's an award that the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services right? You're the first Colombian woman to receive that award. <laughs> what did it mean to you become a citizen? What did it mean to you then to be recognized with that award? Oh my gosh. I think becoming a citizen, especially for my dad, who's a lawyer, who always does things right. I mean, I think he's gotten one ticket in his life in this country because he's so by the book. <laughs> um, so that was a very uh, you know exciting journey for our whole family because it meant for us that we were finally officially part of America and this was going to be our second home. 
you know, when you're a resident, you're still kind of wondering, is this it? Should I go back? But when you become a citizen, it's sort of like the country has really taken you in and you have all this other possibilities now. And you're really starting to think about, you know, the time that's coming, such as starting a family and all of those things. But I think for for me personally, this award, this recognition really validated my family's journey, really validated my parents' sacrifice. I think as a kid and as a teenager, I didn't really understand why this had happened to our life. And I was very angry about it. It felt really unfair that it had happened to us because I had a great life, (laughs) you know. And I think this award really validated the experience for us. And to be able to show that this country and the possibility to seek asylum and be granted asylum is a huge blessing. You know, it's literally for us saved our lives and allowed us to have a different type of life in this country. Yeah, it was very surreal (laughs) to receive this recognition. I like to think of you, Estefania, as this being your act one. And I love that you are so young that like, even as I'm saying it's your act two, your act two is beginning very early in your life, which is you want to act, you want to host, you want to do this whole different universe of work. What is that going to look like? What is drawing you to, to this new calling? Oh my gosh. So I actually started pursuing an acting career in Miami and moved to LA to pursue this acting career and, and hosting. I think that my life, even though these are turns that I haven't really been like looking for, <laughs> Um, have happened for a major reason. And now I'm able to be able to share with, you know, with you and with anyone I meet that there is this grand need for help. And that once I have that, those opportunities that I'm going to be able to provide that perspective. I love what our Latina community is doing, what America Ferrer is doing, what Eva Longoria is doing, Gloria Calderon, like this whole community of really, you know, empowering Latinas who are knocking on doors every single time and trying out projects and supporting different stories. I hope to one day have that opportunity to be part of that circle of Latinas who are changing the storyline for us. What did I miss? I think something that I would love to share with anyone listening is that we can all make a difference and that it just really takes one step to take action, that we shouldn't focus on all the hows because that will come. As long as you, I guess, have the will to do something, um, you should really pursue it because it's just like your instinct. If something is calling your name, then it's definitely something you should be doing. Estefania, I am so impressed by you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Of course. Thank you so much. I, I love what you're doing. I love that you're uplifting the Latina community and that it's really personal. It does. Every story comes across in a very personal way that we can all learn from. So thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. 
Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.